Once a month, we've been going through the book of Ezra. Uh, we've been dipping into the book of Ezra once a month and kind of walking through it. We've come to Ezra 5. That's where we're going to pick up today. A little bit of review for us. Um, of course, the Jews, they'd been in exile um, in Babylon, right over here, for about 70 years, and that was from about 600 B.C. to 530, 530 B.C., and at that time, Cyrus said um, that they could go back. He wrote an edict that said the Jewish people could go back. They took this trail way kind of up and then coming back on down to Jerusalem and it took a long time. They went back. Um, God stirred people's hearts. God had a plan. Let's go to the next, next map. Um, actually, we can go to the next one after that as well. And so first three chapters of Ezra, we talked about God had a plan. God stirred people's hearts. When people are humble before him, he'll stir their hearts for specific things. Um, we each have a part to play, uh, embracing our location. They went back, they embraced the location, um, exemplified leadership. They embarked despite fear, lots of threats, lots of opposition. Uh, they esteemed holiness. That was a big deal. Esteeming holiness, doing things the right way, not taking shortcuts not compromising in areas um, of righteousness or doing things in the right manner. And then they're enduring the naysayers. And then continuing, um, Ezra 4. So they start, God stirs their heart. They're stepping forward in faith. They're, they're being faithful. They're, they're doing the best they can with what they feel God's called them to do. They're rebuilding the temple. That's, that's the big deal in Jerusalem. And what happens is Ezra 4 just outlines attack after attack after attack, opposition, resistance that they're facing, false flags, got people pretending to be their friends but really trying to undermine everything, uh, demoralization, disinformation, direct decree from then King Artaxerxes saying you got to shut things down, you cannot build the temple, and then, and then um, finally physical enforcement, they stopped um, the building of the temple by arms. And so the people were discouraged, and uh, we came to the next... Uh, Ezra 5, uh, verses 1 and 2. That was last month. And, and they kind of, you know, we thought we heard God's voice. We thought we were doing what he wanted us to do, but evidently we're mistaken or, 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 or something because we got shut down. Um, things aren't happening. And so they kind of think, well, maybe I just, uh, maybe it's easier if I just do my own thing, focus on me. And they start trying to build these paneled houses. That was kind of the latest rage, is put paneling in your houses. And they were, they were putting up paneling. And Haggai and Zechariah come on the scene, and they encourage the people. They challenge the people. They say, hey, God is still over us. God's still, I know this doesn't look good. I know it hasn't, we haven't experienced success. But God is still over us, and we should still prioritize whatever it is he has for us to prioritize. Instead of prioritizing our own health, wealth, safety, comfort, so forth, let's continue to still prioritize the things of God. What does God want us to do? How can we step forward? What, are, what can we be faithful with in this season of confusion? And so the people, um, Zerubbabel, they're, they're inspired, they're encouraged by Haggai and Zechariah, and, and they rise up. They actually start building the temple again. They haven't received another decree or something that says they can do it, but, but for them, it felt like, God was stirring their heart, and they thought, we're going to continue to build the temple. And really kind of a risky move, and that's where we, um, and that's where we left off. So today, uh, we continue, and the very next verse, and point number one, if you're following along today at home or if you're online, uh, the note sheet can be downloaded. Um, here we go again. 
And really, it should be said kind of with a sigh, it's like, oh, here we go again. And maybe with your hand on your head, like, oh, here we go again. Because, read with me here, uh, verse 3. At that time, so they start rebuilding. They start rebuilding the temple. At that time, Tatanai, the governor of the region beyond the river, and Shethar Bosnai and their companions came to them and spoke thus to them. Who has commanded you to build this temple and finish this wall? And then accordingly, we told them the names of the men who were constructing this building. Oh boy, here we go again. All of a sudden, that trigger, that fear, comes back. Their, their mortal enemy, Tatanai, comes and he asks them the question, what are you doing? Who gave you permission? Who has commanded you to build this temple again? And so um, I, I don't know if you have in your life, there, there's some takeaways this morning, and I don't know if you can see yourself in that position where you tried to do something once, it failed, you try to do it again, the same eerily similar feelings or enemies or threats or failures happen again. And um, too eerily similar to the last time I tried to start a business, too eerily similar to the last time I was hoping to find a spouse, too eerily similar to the last time I accepted I attempted to change a habit. Same opposition, the same resistance, the same bad breaks, the same voices all of a sudden return. Maybe you've tried to trust God in a specific area of your life. Uh, You've tried to step out in faith in some manner or something that you feel God calling you to do. And then right away, it's the same resistance or opposition or threat or enemy that seems to get in your way. Um, We see that happening to the Jews here. Tatany, he asked that very threatening question, who's in charge here? He might have well asked, you know, who's leading the rebellion? Who's who's leading the rebellion here? I'm taking names. And um, to their credit, the Jews here, they answered, we see verse 4, said, then accordingly we told them the names of the men who were constructing the building. That's interesting. They They could have lied, told a little lie, or said, Uh, Well, actually, the king said we could start rebuilding, right? They could have said that, and then what might have happened? Maybe a letter went to the king, and he says, no, I didn't say that. You know, cut off their heads and and stop this thing, which would happen back then, which could happen back then. They didn't say that little lie. They could have said, um, they could have made up names, like, oh, so-and-so and so-and-so and so, not real names. no. They could have said, we're actually building a strip mall. It's not, it's not a temple. We're, not building, we're building a strip mall. It's going to have some other. It says, they told them accordingly. We told them the names of the men who were constructing the building. And so they were really just, they were being honest, and they were not trying to defend themselves as much as they were relying on God to be their defender. Right. Do you spend a lot of energy defending yourself? Or do you just let... Truth be told, rely on God to be your defender. Well, right after that comes verse 5, Ezra 5, 5. But, so they're honest here, and uh, it says, but the eye of their God was upon the elders of the Jews, so that they could not make, Tatanai and the enemies, they could not make them cease till a report could go to Darius, King Darius. 
So sometimes it seems like cheating a little or telling a small lie will help protect us, um, you know, help secure, stabilize, or grant us blessings. Uh, but don't stoop to dishonesty. We don't ch- cheat, lie, compromise for the promotion. Sometimes it seems it's almost hopeless to do things the right way. If I do things the right way, I'm never going to progress. And if I progress, it's going to be very, very slow. Um, but here's just an example. They're, they're, they're depending on God. And here, it was just a few verses earlier, <clears throat> last month when we talked, I said God was over them. Hey, guys, Zachary, saying, God is over you still. And here he says, but the eye of their God was upon them. Yeah. The eye of their God was upon them. Why, do we, why does it say that over and over and over again? Why are we reminded in Scripture all the time that God is over them? God is with you. God's eye is on you. God's hand is upon you. Because it takes us about 10 seconds to forget. We're like, oh, good. How oh, good he is. And we turn and see something. We're like, oh. And, no, God is still with me. Even when I see something scary and there's a new threat. And, oh, no. No, no. God's still with me. He says, still okay. And so it's only been three verses and they're reminded again. Or, or it's, it's told again. God's eye is upon them. Hasn't left them from three verses ago. I'm okay. We almost need to put that on a recorder, put it on repeat, and just keep it playing in our ear all the time. Hundreds of verses we could read about. Let's just look at one verse, and then we're going to keep moving. Matthew 10, 29 through 31, are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. But the very hairs of your head are numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. God reminding us. I don't know if you know how many hairs are on your head, unless you're Mark Montano. <laughs> hey, 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 huh? Huh? All right. Your Giants beat my Bears two weeks ago. I had to get even. So. No, that's not even close. All right. So, um, so here's, here, here goes number two. The waiting game. The waiting game. Good news, building was continuing until they heard back from the king. So, and by the way, that that was a long trek from Jerusalem to Babylon and back. And my best understanding is if they're just taking it by horse and really quick, it's still going to take four to five months there and back if it's just people on a speedy you know, straight relay race to Babylon and back. Um, so they just keep building. That's the good news. The bad news is the king is certainly going to respond. Your enemy is writing a letter to the king telling all the names of those who restarted the building process. So they're playing the, ra- the waiting game, and how is the king going to respond? Let's read about that, uh, starting verse 6. To Darius the king, all peace. Let it be known to the king that we went into the province of Judea to the temple of the great God, which is being built with heavy stones and timber is being laid in the walls. And this work goes on diligently and prospers in their hands. Then we asked those elders and spoke thus to them, who commanded you to build this temple and to finish these walls? We also asked them their names to inform you that we might write the names of the men who are chief among them. So it's interesting the wording that, that Tatanai is using when he writes here, because he says, 
Um, he didn't say the Jews um, are building a temple um, to, to one of the gods. No, he says, to the temple of the great God. And he doesn't say they're just building this, they're building with sticks and, you know, some twigs and, or a normal building material, but they are building with fortified, there are stones and there are timbers in the walls, which was true, but he, he points that out. He's pointing out all these specific things to the great God, stones, timbers being laid. And by the way, they're very zealous because they're working diligently. They're prospering. This thing's happening very quickly. That's the language he uses to introduce what's going on to King Darius. It says, we asked them their names. They told us, and here they are. Um, yeah, that could be interpreted. Um, these people are a huge threat, and they don't respect you, and they're not looking for your authority, king. They're outside of it. I would feel threatened as a king to hear that. Do they have a militia going already? Are they raising up an army? We need to squash this before it becomes a a bigger problem. Um, Ezra continues, verse 7 through 17. Actually, verses 11 through 16, he records, he reports the Jews' explanation for what they are doing. And the Jews had said, said, we went into captivity because we were being disobedient to the Lord. And um, we had forsaken God. God allowed us to go into captivity Cyrus wrote an edict that said we could come back. Um, and, and they kind of go through it. They, they go through the history. And so he just, Tatnai, he just records and reports their explanation. And then in verse 17, he says, Now therefore, if it seems good to the king, let a search be made in the king's treasure house, which is there in Babylon, whether it is so that a decree was issued by King Cyrus to build this house of God at Jerusalem. And let the king send us his pleasure concerning this matter. Evidently, Tatanai either didn't believe that Cyrus had actually written an edict, or he thought maybe that in looking for that, or if he did, they wouldn't be able to find this edict, which was written a long time ago, um, that it wouldn't have been preserved. It's not something that's in writing. Or he thought that when Artaxerxes shut the thing down, you know, a couple years after the decree, and, and Artaxerxes said, stop work on the temple. He said, certainly when they look for Cyrus's edict, they're going to see Artaxerxes' edict to stop everything. Whatever it is, Tatanai thought in writing, certainly King Darius would put the kibosh on this and extinguish the work and probably the leaders who had tried to attempt to rebuild that temple. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder how the Jews felt. They, they know that him and that Tatanai, his, his companions, are corresponding with King Darius. Do you think they worried? Do you think they lost sleep? If they were found on the wrong side of the law, they would probably be killed. Um, the point being here is things are outside of the Jews' control right now. They're not in control of what happens. They're playing the waiting game. They're waiting for this letter. They know there's correspondence going on. They're just staying faithful. They're doing what they believe God wants them to do. But they're playing the waiting game. And that's hard. It's outside of their control. So much of what happens in life is outside of our control. We can strategize, plan, work diligently. But nothing is guaranteed in this life except death, taxes, so forth. 
When things are outside of your control, as it was for the Jews here, how do we wait? How do we respond? When waiting for a response or a decision from a loved one, when waiting to see what your growing child will do, what they will decide, or how a government body or an employer or a bank or another entity will decide your case, Maybe your retirement plan is not working out. You do not know how the market will respond. Maybe the wrong people are in power and you do not know what new legislation will be coming down the pipeline. Whatever the case, how do we wait? And how do we respond? And if you come to Life Church for any time at all, you've heard it many times, how we respond in those situations. We talk about it often. We continue to trust in his presence, we depend upon his strength. We're concerted, we make a concerted effort to do that. We're intentional, we're trusting, we verbalize it. We spend time trusting in his presence, depending on us. We rest in his past track record. We see what God has done. We remember what he has done in the past. We recall his promises for the future. We hold on to those. We keep moving in the ways that God's called us to. We keep being faithful. And that's it. Those are our anchors. That's how we wait effectively. We wait effectively. Isaiah 26.3, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. It's a good verse. September 13th, 1814, during the War of 1812, British ships sent a downpour of shells and rockets onto Fort McHenry in Baltimore Harbor, relentlessly pounding the American fort for 25 hours straight. Came to be known as the Battle of Baltimore. There was a guy um, one week earlier, Francis Scott Key, 35-year-old American lawyer, had boarded the flagship of the British fleet on the Chesapeake Bay in hopes of persuading the British to release a friend who had recently been arrested. Key's tactics were successful, but because he and his companions had gained knowledge of the impending attack on Baltimore, the British did not let them go. They allowed the Americans to return to their own vessel, but continued guarding them. Under their scrutiny, Key watched on September 13th as the barrage of Fort McHenry began eight miles away. This is what he said. It said, it seemed as though the Mother Earth had opened and was vomiting shot and shell in a sheet of fire and brimstone, Key wrote. When darkness arrived, Key saw only red erupting in the night sky, giving the scale of the attack. He was certain that the British would win. The hours passed slowly. Key was playing the waiting game. He's on his ship and he just sees Baltimore getting blown up. Well, Fort McHenry. Playing the waiting game, but in the clearing smoke of the dawn's early light on September 14th, he saw the American flag, not the British Union Jack, flying over the fort, announcing an American victory. Key put his thoughts on paper while still aboard the ship, setting his words to the tune of the popular English song. Uh, the song was initially called The Defense of Fort McHenry, but you guys know it as the Star-Spangled Banner. That uh, flag is still um, preserved. It's in the National Museum of American History. 
Francis Scott, he was surprised by the fact that the flag was still flying. He was playing the waiting game, and when the smoke cleared and it was light enough to see in the morning, he was surprised by number three in your notes, unexpected good news. Unexpected, does that really happen? Isn't that just in the movies? Unexpected good, good news, I mean, unexpected bad news, right, all the time. Unexpected good news, what? Does that happen? It did. Happened with the Jews, starting uh, in Ezra chapter 6, verses 1 through 5, it says, Then Darius issued a decree, and a search was made, a scroll was found, and in it a record was written thus. In the first year of King Cyrus, King Cyrus issued a decree concerning the house of God at Jerusalem. Let the house be rebuilt, three rows of heavy stones and one row of new timber. How about that? Let the expenses be paid from the king's treasury. Let the gold and silver articles of the house of God be restored and taken back to the temple. So there's some good news coming back from King Darius. You know, have you ever expected bad news and then received great news at some point in your life? You're waiting maybe for a doctor's report and the report comes back benign. Or your team's going to lose for sure, but then the other team turns over the ball and you win. You think you have a spanking coming? This is my story. This is my story. But instead, your parents buy you a brand new bike. So I was outside one day playing, and, and my dad said, Travis, you need to come in the house. And I was like, uh-oh, what did I do? He's like, oh, I did something. And I came in, and my mom and dad had that bike sitting in the living room. I was like, what? I'd, I'd never gotten something outside of my birthday or Christmas before, and it wasn't my birthday, and it wasn't Christmas. It was a summer. It was a brand new bike. I thought, what? That was unexpected good news yeah. for me. Really exciting. Yeah. Have you ever experienced the unexpected mercy, grace, and favor? And, and I'm not presenting a... Um, we're not going down the road of you believing Jesus or you're faithful, then all good things will happen to you on earth. Of course not. But um, there are a good number of times in the Bible and even in the New Testament where God would miraculously save or preserve or protect or provide when it looked impossible. Yeah. People were playing the waiting game and, oh, Paul is set free. Peter's set free. Yeah. Good news travels somewhere. There's a miracle that happens. Signs and wonder. Uh, we have to be careful not to fall into a pessimistic, defeated mentality, especially in our culture. Oh, look at the politics. Look at the stock market. Look at inflation. Look at the media. Look at what schools are being taught. Kids are being taught in schools. Look at the entertainment industry. Look at my new wrinkles, my new gray hair. <laughs> it's hard to see the light of the sun when your head is stuck in the sand. Huh? 1 Corinthians 2.9, But as it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Yeah, it's an awesome gift to look forward to and to set our hearts upon. Looking forward to and living for the greater reward. To hear Jesus say in Matthew 25.23, His Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of of the Lord. Awesome. We sang a song today. 
And one of the lines of the song was Romans eleven thirty six. It says, for of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. We ought not limit God. <clears throat> it makes me think of what um, has started at this church, what's been going on at this church. So many things. I mean, obviously outside, the building stuff going on. Um, I heard um, from another couple, that three couples from the church, they're just meeting organically at a house, and they're going through some, some um, recovery, um, some healing steps, some recovery scriptural material together. There's three families, and God is doing an amazing work among them. Just so cool. A growing community of God lovers, people that want to know God, people that are learning from God's ways, walking in them, people that are becoming more like Jesus through Scripture and with God's help, people faithfully serving one another, forgiving one another, working together, encouraging one another. Last week, I was journaling, and I started, it just kind of, I stepped back and I said, wow, and then I, and then I purposefully tried to think, how many different people are serving in different ways just in our community? We all know each other and serving God in different uh, ways. Obviously, outside of the church and in our jobs and so forth, tons of going on. But just right here, kind of surrounding this property and the people that are connected to it, I wrote this down. Our Life Church family has meal trains going to pregnant ladies, helps department helping people in practical ways, moving meals, errands, financial. Nursery children's youth workers teaching, nurturing our children, security teams helping keep us safe, cleaning teams caring for our facilities, worship teams leading us in song, media teams filming announcements, testimonies, baptism videos, streaming the service online, prayer teams interceding for our families, guest services greeting, holding doors, making coffee, giving tours, parking teams helping people find spots, missionaries serving in a number of countries, Christian schooling for kids pre-K through eighth grade, Pastors, teachers, life group leaders, preaching, teaching, facilitating, Christian counseling services, grounds team maintaining and beautifying the property, office teams assisting with finances, administration, communications, volunteer scheduling, inventory, buying things, community outreach events, people helping to fund many of the aforementioned. And that doesn't even scratch the surface, you know, that's just things here not counting in our families and our connections outside of the church. I thought, wow, how healthy it is. How cool it is for God to be using so many people in so many different ways. I'm sure I didn't even think of all of the ways that people are being used and are affecting one another for good. That's really awesome. I was encouraged by that. Um, So unexpected good news for the Jews. He's saying that he found a decree from Cyrus, and it did say they could rebuild, and it did say they could use fortified material, stones and timbers, and this was supposed to be paid out of the king's treasury. And so all this good news is coming back in the letter. Here's more unexpected good news. We continue, verse 6, Tatanai, Shether, Bosnai, and your companions, keep yourselves far from there, King Darius wrote. Let the work of this house of God alone Let the governor of the Jews and the elders of the Jews build this house of God on its site. Moreover, let the cost be paid at the king's expense from taxes on the region beyond the river. That's Tatanai's area. All right. Given immediately to these men so that they are not hindered 
and whatever they need, and there's a long list in verse 9, let it be given them day by day without fail. Also, I issue a decree that whoever alters this edict, let a timber be pulled from his house and erected and let him be hanged on it and let his house be made a refuse heap because of this. Wow, what the enemy meant for evil, God intended for good. Just like so many other accounts within Scripture and history. We could go through a list of them, but that is pretty neat. Wow, what terrible things in your life that the enemy has instigated might God turn for good. Unexpected good news. If God be for us, who can be against us? Well, a lot of people. A lot of people can be against us, but who can? The context is who can prevail against the plans of God? And nobody. God's plans will continue to reverberate throughout eternity. Countless saints and angels are watching our faith and our actions. And even if this church was to be shut down, even if we were all killed, it would not be for nothing. Great value, great worth would be found to the glory of God, the glory of the kingdom forever and ever. Each one of us would be rewarded a hundred times full. Just context and perspective. But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about, as it is to this day, to save many people alive, Joseph said in Genesis fifty twenty. Romans 8, 28, we know that God has caused all things to work together for good of those who love God, who are called according to his purposes. <clears throat> Talk about playing the waiting game. People are waiting, we're waiting and waiting for the promised Messiah, according to the scriptures, to redeem them from sin and from the curse of the law and from death. And they waited and waited and waited. And kind of the darkest time in history, unexpected good news. Jesus comes on the scene. And what seems darker still is they crucify him, but in that moment, he's dying for the sins of all people and making eternal life available to all of us. A way to heaven, a way for us to be led by, filled with his spirit, to receive grace and mercy and to live a life based on grace and mercy instead of law and fear and judgment. Powerful. You know, we are actually, we're playing the waiting game again, right? We're playing the waiting a game again for the return of Christ. Right. Right. So he says, I'm leaving you here. I want you to spread the gospel. I want you to grow in your faith. I want you to help other people know who I am. And then I'm coming again. So you're going to play the waiting game again. And there's going to be more good news coming. Yeah. It's going to be unexpected for many. <clears throat> uh, what a day that'll be. <clears throat> Number four in your notes, celebrate like you mean it. Celebrate like you mean it, Ezra 6, 13 through 22. Tatanai, the companions, they submit. Um, so the elders and the Jews built and they prospered through the prophesying of Haggai, the prophet Zechariah, son of Iddo. They built and they finished it. The temple was finished on the third day of the month of Adar, our calendar, that's March 12, 515 BC, which was in the sixth year of the reign of King Darius. Then the children of Israel, the priests, the Levites, and the rest of the descendants of the captivity celebrated the dedication of this house of God with joy. Awesome. Hey, we should celebrate things sometimes, right? We should celebrate things. There's times when we should stop and just celebrate big victories, but even little battles. It's fun to celebrate. Um, well, I don't want to acknowledge anything good at any time. Right? Maybe that's, maybe we get caught in that sometimes. 
We see Jesus celebrating often throughout his ministry. He celebrated the feasts. He observed those. He celebrated um, in Luke 10, 21, and Pastor Bob has brought this up before. Jesus jumps up and down. He's spinning around rejoicing. He's so excited and thrilled that God gives grace, special insight, power to the humble. He's seeing it happen around him. It just fires him up, and he's so excited about it, celebrating. Um, It's cool to celebrate the right things. Who cheers for the real things that matter in life? Who celebrates the real victories? And it's cool when men and and women, um, saying, uh, when a man does something well for his family, that other men say, hey, good job, way to go. When a guy gets a promotion at work, hey, good job, way to go, and we celebrate those things, men and women both. Uh, Ezra 6.13, it says they offered sacrifices. This is how they celebrated. They celebrated in the right ways. They offered sacrifices. They assigned priests to their divisions, the Levites to their divisions. Over the service of God in Jerusalem, as it is written in the book of Moses, they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month. Priest Levites purified themselves. Israel, who had returned from captivity, they ate together with all who had separated themselves from the filth of the nations of the land in order to seek the God of Israel. Kept the feast of unleavened bread seven days for the joy, for the Lord had made them joyful. And they turned the heart of the king of Assyria toward them to strengthen their hands in the work of the house of God, the God of Israel. Do we know how to celebrate in the right ways, in purity, holiness, wholesomeness, fun, relaxation, enjoyment, without defiling ourselves, without sabotaging ourselves, keeping God number one during the good times? How do we handle the good times? And this is this fourth point here. The fourth point is this. It's we should celebrate. We need to find times and find things to celebrate. And when we celebrate it, I'm seeing the Jews here at this point in time that they're not sabotaging themselves or taking huge steps back during their celebration, but they're being careful to prioritize the right things, to glory in the right things, um, and to celebrate in the right ways. Here's, Here's a picture of this. How do we do this? How do we respond to success? How do we respond to victory? How do we respond to praise? They get this temple up. It seemed impossible. They get it up. And now how do they respond right now? How do they respond? How does does a Super Bowl team win after winning the Super Bowl? So celebrate. But sometimes the next season is a a travesty, right? It's terrible. Um, we want to respond to success, respond to victory, respond to praise in the right ways. There was a sermon a year or two ago that was devoted entirely to this topic. Looked at many examples. Um, majority of people become uh, prideful, arrogant, letting it go to their head, becoming lax or distracted from the mission before them, taking for granted the people, the work, the values that got them to where they were, forgetting that it was God who had given them the victory and or who had gone before them who had established them. Some people have learned how to deal with failure, but they've never learned how to rightly deal with success. They're completely in the dark as to what steps they must intentionally take to prevent a sure fall. Uh, Solomon wrote Ecclesiastes 10, 16 through 17. He said, Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child and your princes feast in the morning. Blessed are you, O land, when your king is the son of nobles. When your princes feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. I thought that was good. 
feasting at the pro- there's a right time and a wrong time and a right amount, wrong amount for enjoying food, for enjoying festivities. And a God-fearing person will learn to observe those times, those amounts. The art of celebration. Uh, glory to whom glory is due. That's what the Jews were doing there. They're they keeping everything. Uh, they were signing things in the right way. They were going about the festivities in the right way. Godliness with contentment, great gain. For strength, not for overindulgence. With the right people at the right places, they'd separated themselves from the influences that were not good and from the places that were not right. Fellowship, worship, prayer, scripture, so forth. Proverbs 25, 16, have you found honey? Eat only as much as you need, less being filled with it and vomit. That could probably be carried into a lot of our, our, um, our downtimes. You know, a little bit. Moderation. I can watch a good YouTube video or two, but when I start binging and it comes an hour, two hours, three hours, that's crossed the line. Zig Ziglar, he was on the road, uh, and we're, we're concluding. Zig Ziglar, he'd be on the road for business, um, and he was a motivational speaker as well, salesman and motivational speaker. But uh, he was a proclaimed Christian, and he said he had to learn how to celebrate in the right ways. And so he said, I'm far from home. I'm on the road. I'm in a hotel. He goes, I could definitely celebrate in the wrong ways, but this is how I celebrate. And he said, I will, at the end of a long day, and I've worked hard, he goes, I will eat a good meal. I even pay a little extra and get a really good meal. And maybe even some something sweet to enjoy after it. Right? Ice cream. Ice cream, right? <laughs> a little And then I'll take a good walk. A good walk. I'll get fresh air. I'll get some exercise. And then I'll call my wife and I'll have good conversation. And we'll talk. And then I'll read the good book for a while. And then I'll get some really good sleep. So he, he took care of some of his physical needs. Fed himself well, got himself outside, got some exercise, had some good conversation with his wife. He did some of these godliness with contentment is great gain. He celebrated. He enjoyed. He took care of himself in the right way and celebrated in the right way. The next day he was stronger and ready for the day. His soul, spirit, and body had been nourished by what he'd he'd done even the night prior. He'd celebrated in the right way. I thought that's a good challenge for all of us and something that I think we can take from um, that second portion of Ezra 6. Okay, uh, reflections from Ezra 5. Uh, are you facing a here-we-go-again moment? Are you playing the waiting game for something in life right now? Are you a doomsdayer? And then do you celebrate the wins? And if so, have you learned how to celebrate them in the right ways? A challenge for us. Take a moment right now in silence for 20 seconds uh, to reflect on that, to talk to God personally, silently, ask for his help. Let him know what areas you might be struggling with, what your desire is. And um, in about 20 seconds from now, I'll close this in prayer.
God, I thank you for the book of Ezra. I thank you, Lord, for, for history being recorded for us, Lord. We thank you for people who are looking to you and trusting in you and being faithful, Lord, in the little things and letting you defend them and who definitely had those trials, Lord, those age-old trials that we face as well, the here-we-go-again moments, the waiting game, Lord. And pray for those, Lord, in this room that may be going through those times as well, in one way or another, and that even this morning, Lord, their faith will have been bolstered, Lord. They will look to you, and you, of course, God, will supply their need. Lord, you'll give them a peace, Lord, that uh, exists despite the concerns that surround them and the uncertainties. Um, a trust and a confidence, Lord, that you would give us as your people. Lord, we thank you, Lord. Lord, we do expect good news. Um, Help us to, to look for the good things, Lord, each day and look for the ways in which you're moving and take time to celebrate those things. And ultimately, God, we know we have much to look forward to in eternity, Lord. We place our eyes there. We commit this week to you in Jesus' name. Amen.